In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts take down the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the first of 75 meetings this season. 34-20 is the final. Uh, JB, this this game was very much a story of two halves, but was it ever in doubt for you in that first half? Were you ever thinking, this just isn't going to end well? Hmm... I wasn't happy with the first half. Uh, it's just <laughs> no simply because it was, you know, so boring. Um, but it, Hamilton did not, honestly, Hamilton didn't didn't scare me. It didn't feel like, you know, they were going to blow the doors off us. I thought they, you know, they had some success with um, the screen game, a couple of nice runs up the middle. But I, I didn't feel like they were moving the ball at will. And um, we were still in reach of them, you know, that a couple of times where we held them the field goals, um, that game easily could have fallen out of reach. But uh, I felt keeping them the field goals in the first half, um, I felt like we were right in it. Let's walk through the game from start to finish. It was a really weird one. Just because the the environment getting down there was uh, a little bit bananas. I, I went really early because you had a Drake concert going on next door uh, at Ontario Place, which you could actually see from the stadium. You can see the, the Drake concert crowd. And Lady Gaga was performing at the Rogers Centre. Plus, they've started setting up for the CNE. So a lot of the roads are closed, parkings changed. It, it was it was a disaster down there today. And so I'm glad I got there really early. I know people, a lot of people came in late because right before kickoff, like five minutes before kickoff, the stadium looked empty. It looked like there were about 5,000 people in there. And then about 10 minutes into the game, uh, you, you had your 11,600 or whatever it ended up being. Uh, but yeah, it was just... Strange setup, bad luck to be starting at the same time as two major, major concerts. Uh, but it, it was a it was a loud, excited crowd, especially in that second half when the Argos really picked it up. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a nice environment. It was a you know really nice night to to watch a football game. Let's get into uh, some of the things that went on. I I thought one of the things I thought was interesting, and it was a factor in the first half, was. Right before kickoff, this like hurricane force wind started coming from the south. And it, it was a real factor in that first quarter. It was blowing into the faces of the Argonauts. The Tiger Cats had the wind and it, and it was a difference. McLeod Bethel Thompson had a, a lot of trouble throwing against the wind. E- even Hegarty, who can usually bomb punts, had to kick it really low and only got like 33 yards on a, on a punt. Like when's the last time you saw him do that? Because the wind was such a force. And then about three minutes into the second quarter, it died and wasn't a factor again all night. I've never seen anything like that. It was, it was highly unusual and it affected the Argos play as you saw. Yeah. It, they didn't mention that on the TV broadcast, but um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It, it can be, incredibly windy down there and unpredictably windy and the Argos were actually lucky in a way because in that first quarter 
on two occasions, Evans had receivers open deep and he aired it out to them and the ball just carried. It took off. So um, both ended up being incomplete, one in the end zone, one deep down the sideline for what would have been a touchdown. And had it been had there not been any win, those both would have been scores. So uh, the Argos did get a little bit lucky with the wind uh, in the first quarter, even though they couldn't move the ball at all. Uh, I, I thought... You know, we've talked a lot about kick returners and the the Argos for having all these magic kick returners and guys with history of of really being able to electrify teams with their return game. I thought it was really interesting that Gittens and Adaba Boye were deep uh, for opening kickoff. I don't like Gittens back there. That makes me nervous. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you baiting me into conversations about returning. Um, I, I don't care who they put back there. To be honest, to me, it's just, I I don't want the risk. Like, I don't like Giddens is, is probably the most valuable receiver on the team. I'm not saying best receiver on the team. I think he's the most valuable as a Canadian. I don't, I don't want him returning kickoffs, especially because it's not like he's amazing at it. He's fine, but he's been, he's just been getting the numbers that everyone else has been getting. Uh, and it, so I would like to see them find a way to to dress right or when Leak is back, get him back out there. Um, you know, maybe one of the guys they just signed. I, I just don't want to see Curly Gittens Jr. back there returning. Again, I would be okay if he was an elite returner, but he's not. And Adam Boye, I haven't seen back there at all. I thought it was weird they didn't have Willette back there because he has returned before. So I would put him back there, maybe with Adam Boye. Well, it, I it, I think it speaks to, um, you know, a desperate hope that something pops. Um, yeah, I, I get your argument. I, I could see that. Um, you know, I just try not to think about the black hole that is the kick <laughs> and punt return game. Yeah, you've just like tuned it out entirely. Yeah, well, I mean, what? Well, there's no point getting angry at it. They're clearly not going to improve it so i've moved on <laughs> okay or i'm trying so, to despite you dragging me back dragging into you back into conversations it. so the argus got off to a terrible start i thought mcleod bethel thompson didn't look very good today you know it's funny because i thought he had a good game last week and last week everybody trashed him and and you know he had, i thought he had a really good game today no one's saying anything bad about him and I just didn't think it was one of his better games. He had a few passes that really could have been picked. And there was one in that very first possession. They opened the game with a two-yard run to Harris, which was sort of a theme on the evening. And then he threw one that really should have been picked off by Siante Evans. And he made a couple of decisions today that I just didn't really think were there. Um, it wasn't an easy night for him because he wasn't getting any manner of protection in the first half. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't feel like he was on tonight. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't give the game away uh, by, by any means, but it wasn't one of his best games. He ended up with, I think, 63% completions. And like I said, a couple passes that really could have gone the other way. Yeah, he, he did not, well, the entire team didn't. He did not have a good first half. Uh, he was lucky that early throw didn't turn into a pick six. Um, but I, I thought he was fine. In the first half, uh, he didn't try to do too much, even though the team, you know, really was not feeling any kind of rhythm. And then the second half, he looked really good. 
Um, so on the whole, I thought it was a, a, a decent performance from him. You know, you're, you're going to get that. He's not, he's not going to come out and, and, and drop 300 every, every game. I mean, he'd be the best quarterback in the league. I, I don't think he is the best quarterback in the league, but I was happy with how today went in terms of no interception, no turnover, good second half. Uh, you know, I was, I, I mean, I certainly, I think I've come around on him and I know there are people who want to hate on him, but I thought he had a bad first half and a good second half. In the first quarter, the uh, one of the sort of big moments there was the, the Braylon Addison injury because that, that really did change things for Hamilton's offense. He's such a good player, such a smart player. He had that beautiful catch on the sideline and ended up getting getting hurt and he was out for the rest of the game. Hopefully it's not a serious injury, but it didn't look good. He was on the sideline. I think he I think I saw him with crutches on the sideline pretty early in that game right after coming out. So uh yeah, you you, you gotta hope that that he's okay, but it it didn't look really good. Hamilton got up to a ten nothing lead in that in that first quarter. Evans hitting Jackson on a nine yard touchdown. That touchdown breakdance celebration is one of the best I've seen this season. I'm not a huge touchdown celebration guy, but when he went into the end zone, backspinning and windmilling and everything else he was doing, very like 80s breakdance, uh, that was pretty special. I don't know if they showed that on TV or not. Uh, so we caught some of it. I, I don't know if, if I thought it was as special as you did. Well, you like touchdown celebrations even less than I do. So, <laughs> not, not, I wouldn't say like Hamilton touchdown celebrations are ever <laughs> are ever something I care about. That's fair, and normally I would agree, but it, it was pretty cool. So the first quarter ends. Uh, let me give you a yardage stat because it was it was nuts. One hundred eighty-one to twenty-three in that first quarter, uh, with equal possessions. But that just shows you how much of a factor wind was. It wasn't the only factor. Like Toronto definitely wasn't clicking. Um, they they had all sorts of issues with pass protection, and that continued into the second quarter before like disappearing entirely in the second half. But let's talk about those pass protection issues. Oh God. Bethel Thompson got crushed on a number of occasions. I, I think there were three first half sacks, I want to say, and a few hits that he took. They all seemed to come from miscommunications. There were two that came from an outside rusher where it looked like there was a miscommunication between McKellar and Blake on the left side. And Blake ended up taking uh, an inside guy. The outside rusher came through free. No running back picks him up and just crushed MBT. And then the other one was, oh, this, actually the other one, excuse me, it wasn't, it wasn't a sack. It was a crucial run stop where it was a second down and two. And uh, they, they seemed to be running, they seem to be running basically zone blocking. So there was a nose tackle lined up right in front of Lawrence. And instead of taking the guy right in front of him, he took uh, the, the tackle off to the right-hand side, expecting the entire line basically to slant to the right, uh, like a zone right. But he didn't get that from McKellar. McKellar, uh, he took the guy right in front of him. And so nobody had the nose tackle who just like, I think it was Johnson who just walked into the backfield and slammed Harris to the ground. And that was what resulted in, in Toronto's first field goal. But it was a terrible first half from the offensive line in my eyes. Yeah, it, it was terrible. Uh, Richards nearly got MBT killed. Oh, right. I forgot about that one. On I forgot that, about that. that. Coming around the outside, <laughs> yeah. he, he barely got touched. Yeah, 
That was not that was not ideal. And look, the se- the second and short out of shotgun will remain to, you know remains uh, a frustration. Um, on the replay, it looked like they wanted the center to chip, um, and he was already going second level. I, I just wasn't really sure about the blocking scheme on what was second and short. Like, re- like I don't I don't know if you need your offensive lineman to get second level when you're trying to get you know one and a half yards. But you know that's a conversation for another day. Uh, they did not look good in the first half. I don't know what they did at halftime um, in terms of uh, tightening it up. But yeah, that first half was uh, was not great. But you know maybe they just those Hamilton guys burned through their uh, their pre workout buzz. Maybe they they did some. So Hamilton stopped doing some stuff in the second half. So some things I noticed in the second quarter, especially they were running a lot of really late twists that were causing problems for the offensive line. So the reason you don't usually run a late twist is that you're you're giving up contain. And so they were. They were basically abandoning their contain responsibility, assuming that McLeod Bethel Thompson was not going to be rolling outside the pocket or being able to escape the pocket. And someone would eventually come around the outside, but very late. And what was happening is the tackles were were sometimes losing their guy inside because if you're a tackle, you're on the outside there and you've got an edge rusher outside of you, you're not really expecting them to come inside when there's nobody swinging around immediately. And so that caught Richards off guard once, it caught Blake off guard once, but I didn't see them do that at all in the second half. And I don't know if it was that they thought Toronto would adjust to that, but I thought it was working really well in the first half and... They, for some reason, they they went away from it, and it was one of the things that was killing that Toronto O line. That now, right before the end of the half, I felt like there was a real missed opportunity. You remember the Eric Rogers drop? Eric Rogers had a couple great catches on that drive, and it seemed like the Argos offense was finally going. They're trailing fourteen to three at that point. Time's ticking down in the half, and. Bethel Thompson fires one into Rogers. A beautiful ball hits him right in the hands at the five yard line. And, and he, not only does he drop it, it actually pops into the air. And if there were a deep safety coming in, he would have been in the perfect spot to pick it. Fortunately, it fell incomplete. The air goes out of field goal to make it 14-6. But that, that felt to me like a real wasted opportunity that could have come back to haunt them. Yeah, uh, that was a terrible moment. I saw the ball in the air. I thought, oh, my God, you, if this is another red zone interception, um yeah, it was bad. I mean, you got to catch that ball. I know first came back and, you know, there was definitely a safety bearing down there. Um, but that ball has to be caught uh, in the red zone. There just has to be more concentration um, than than there has been. But, I, I mean, I was happy with, with the, the lack of drops in the game. And, I, you know, it was nice to have Rodgers back and it gives him another target. I mean, he, you know, I, I think I'm kind of unfortunately he's very much like what they already have but you know he's another veteran guy he's gonna be able to catch the ball most times uh when you throw it to him um i think it you know i thought i thought that they looked okay um and they i liked how they were using the middle of the field a lot more but um the red zone remains um something that needs you know more work better better play calling um whether it be some trick plays or, you know, there was a the play that came out of the timeout at, towards the end of the game, and I was like, 
they were second in goal and then they just threw it away. Like what, what is that play? Yeah, it was a deep corner route. That yeah, they, like, what are you throwing a deep corner route for? What, like, what, what are we doing here? Just, the end zone's right there. Just throw the ball into the end zone. Don't, don't throw a deep corner route. Yeah, it'd be nice to see them get a conventional red zone touchdown. We'll talk about the red zone touchdown that came in the third quarter in just a second. But I just want to go back to what you said about Rodgers. To me, one of the nicest things about having Rodgers back, first of all, he's a, he's a great receiver. So that is is wonderful. But it allows Deveris Daniels to go back to the outside where he's more comfortable. And, and he had a really good game today. He's back in his comfortable position. And it allows you to kind of do whatever with Brandon Banks. Like Banks wasn't starting today. But they were able to put him in all over the place. He's played a little bit on the outside. His more comfortable position is inside slot on the field side. They were able to put him in there. So basically anyone that needed a breather, they could throw Banks in there. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it would take Rodgers off the field to to put in cross, etc. So it really allowed Coach Dinwiddie to play around with the lineup and not, not lose skill, but instead look different. They didn't really capitalize on that part of it, but they're able to have a very different looking group of receivers out there just by taking one guy out and putting Banks in. And suddenly uh, Hamilton, in theory, should have to adjust to that. It, it didn't really, that wasn't the issue today for Hamilton, but uh, but I do like that flexibility they have. Um, we go into the half, uh, third quarter starts up uh, looking pretty, pretty negative. Hamilton chews up the first half of the third quarter on a long field goal drive and it just seemed to me like Evans Evans played so well through that first drive of the third quarter he was making really smart plays but as much as Toronto was I thought generating some pressure Evans was uh, avoiding it he was waiting to the last possible second because I didn't feel like Hamilton receivers were getting open right away like I, I didn't feel like Evans was just taking the snap and firing to an open receiver. He was buying himself time and guys were getting open, but he was doing a masterful job of that because I did think the rush was getting through for the most part. And they did a pretty good job of kind of breaking down uh, the style of cover three that Toronto was playing to the field side. There were some vulnerabilities there. They kept running these sort of levels plays where you basically had outs at three different levels and the middle guy was always open. They kept going to that again and again and again. Uh, and Toronto adjusted to that in the second half. And that when once they adjusted to that and they took that away and they stopped basically with the, the halfback, stopped turning his back to the play to, to chase uh, or to trail, um, then suddenly Hamilton had nothing working at all because they go up 17-6 and then they basically ground to a halt at that point and and Toronto's offense took over. But it looked like at 17-6, I, I wasn't feeling very good at all about Toronto's chances. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't... I, I still felt like it was in hand. Um, honestly, I felt I felt like it, it, it was going to really depend on two or three um, plays and the defense came out and forced a couple of huge um, stops. And that's all it took really is it's really all it took is a couple of big defensive stops. So, you know, I thought that it was that the game really teetered and uh, you know, so I, I felt it was, it could go either way. Most of the game, I never felt like Hamilton was safe, especially with their history of blowing leads this year. Yeah, yeah, there was uh, definitely like Hamilton fans that 
that I got a chance to talk to at halftime uh, were very nervous, even though they were up. They're like, yeah, this is this is right where the Argos want them, basically, was the sentiment, uh, because they've seen so many late leads blown. And it turned out to be true. It, 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 it came through. Uh, and it started with a bust. So McLeod Bethel-Thompson hits Phillips for a 49-yard bomb. And it was just, it was a busted cover three. Nobody had deep responsibility to the field side. Phillips just sailed past two guys that thought they were playing flats. And and Bethel Thompson found him. It's too bad. He wanted to make sure, and this is always a tough thing for the quarterback, because if he hits him perfectly in stride, that's a touchdown. But when you've got a guy wide open, you don't want to risk missing him. And we know McLeod has missed a couple of deep passes so far this year. And I'm sure he was just thinking, I just got to get him the ball. And so it ends up going for 49, doesn't go for the touchdown. But luckily, a few plays later, they are able to convert. Uh, MBT was was like Houdini on the play. Somehow he avoided a sack. Uh, he became super elusive for that one play, avoided a sack, got his hips turned around and then found Phillips in the end zone for a touchdown and a two-point conversion to Harris. And uh, suddenly this, this was a game. It was 17-14 at that point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what blocking scheme um, was that work there. It looked like like maybe I was like, oh, is this a screen? Like no, no one is blocking this person. Um, but was amazingly able to to spin out. He was feeling it, I think, tonight in terms of feeling agile. He had that uh, quarterback keeper, uh, you know, for eight yards, and he kept his eyes downfield. And 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 full credit to Phillips for reversing course and and just you know scramble, you know scramble schoolyard football. Um, you know, it was it was impressive that he kept his eyes downfield and was able to to see that because I mean that that defensive lineman was unblocked. The quarterback keeper you referred to was actually a, a busted play. So what happened on that was it was it was supposed to be. Uh, so I think that, I feel like that happened in the in the, I think it was in the fourth quarter, uh, and it was supposed to be an RPO and. McLeod Bethel-Thompson sort of rode Andrew Harris with the ball, saw what he wanted to see and pulled it. But the one receiver he was looking at was run blocking. And so right after he pulled it, he brought it up to throw. And I think, I feel like it was Rogers who was run blocking downfield. And so McLeod's like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm running it. So he just followed uh, Harris through the line and ended up going for like nine yards. Yeah, it was a great, great. play. Yeah, it was nice, but, uh, nice reaction. But that's not a nice feeling as a quarterback when you pull the ball and all your receivers think it's a running play. So uh, into the end of the third quarter, uh, this, I thought, was another turning point. So it's 17-14 Hamilton, and Haggerty booms one that looks like it's going to be a perfect coffin corner, but it gets a bad bounce, and it's just about to bounce into the end zone, and Woods, the returner, fields it. Uh, right at the one yard line instead of letting it bounce into the end zone for a single point. And he ends up getting stuck at the three because the, the coverage team was was terrific there. This reminded me so much of the Grey Cup last year. Remember Hamilton making a poor decision to take the ball out of the end zone instead of giving up the single point. And this was, you could see like Hamilton fans all over again. They're like, why wouldn't you let that ball go into the end zone? It was so clearly bouncing to the end zone give up the single point i mean I'll, I'll cut that guy a little bit of a break on the replay i thought yeah maybe you know it kind of bounced weird 
And, uh, you know, maybe that thing was going to bounce back in. If you watch the replay, I'll give that returner a bit of a break and give Haggerty a little more a little more props. It felt like it had a reverse bounce um, coming. So it, it might have ended up in the end zone. Um, but I, I don't know for sure if it would. I, I think it was just a hell of a punt. But there's no hurry to pick that up. Like, you can let it bounce. Let it bounce and see. They're giving you a five-yard halo. It's not like a, a kickoff where the other team can recover it. <laughs> no, it's true. So, like, I, I just think when you're at the one-yard line, like, just double-check. See what happens. You know, it, yeah. Yeah. And then if it does, if it sits on the one, then whatever. Pick it up and get I your two yards. Like, he was going to get to the three either way. It, 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 it happens. I think it happened in the Grey Cup. I think um, American returners, you know, play high school, play college. Uh, it's just sometimes it's hard to turn off that muscle memory. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. It's true. And so, you know, I I don't know exactly what, what went through his head there, but uh, that, was a, that was a turning point because they had to end up giving up a safety two plays later. And I want to talk about the safety because I was upset at Coach Dinwiddie declining a penalty that occurred on the safety. So uh, the Tiger Cats are lined up in pump formation, it's it's third and five or whatever it was. And they end up taking a knee in the end zone uh, for the safety. But what happened just before the snap is one of the gunners who's lined up right at the last second suddenly ran off the field. And it confused the Argos secondary because there's someone lined up, you know, someone lined up over. I can't remember who it was out there. might have been might have been Amos that was lined up over th- this gunner. Um, ready to block him downfield. And suddenly he ran out of bounds. And he's like, well, well, hang on a second. Who am I supposed to be matched up with now? Um, And it didn't matter because there was a safety. Uh, The refs talked about it through a penalty um, for too many men. And Coach Dinwiddie declined it. I think that's a game management mistake. I think you have to accept that penalty as Toronto. Make them snap it again. Down in your own end zone, snapping the ball from your one-yard line, taking a safety. There's so many things that can go wrong. There can be a mishandled snap. There can be, um, you know, the the punter might just not catch it cleanly. You get pressure on him and he panics. Suddenly that ball is bouncing around in the end zone. It's It's a long shot. But I think you take that chance every time. Make them snap it again. If you can make them take another snap and have one more chance for something to go backwards, especially a team like Hamilton that has seen things unravel like this again and again and again, and here we are in a situation again where a guy fields it deep, gets it out at the three, and you're giving them another chance to to make a mistake, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be a fine snap. He'll just take the safety a second time. But that one time is the reason you do that. Accept the penalty, back them up five more yards, send everyone at him, and force that punter to catch the ball cleanly one more time and take a knee without it going wrong. So it, not a mistake that probably would have mattered, but I think you always take that penalty. You always accept that penalty. JB, into the fourth quarter, uh, this is where uh, we really got a spectacular show from from the special teams unit in a few different ways, both good and bad. So it started with Jake Reinhardt. I noticed uh, earlier in the game, uh, had his arm being looked at on the sideline. I couldn't tell exactly what it was. And I noticed his he did have his left elbow wrapped at the end of the game. And I don't remember if he'd had it wrapped earlier. I believe that was the elbow that he injured last season. Hopefully, Reinhardt's okay. Because Reinhardt's one of the most reliable special teams players in the league. I think he's the best long snapper in the league. And he clearly was hurt. Now, I thought there was a chance he was going to go back in because he still had his helmet on. He still had his uniform on. But... 
Boris Beatty's lining up for a 44-yard field goal, uh, trailing now by one point, 17-16. And Reinhardt's not out there. It's Calver who goes out as the long snapper. Calver ends up rolling the snap back to the holder, Haggerty. Haggerty does an amazing job to pick up this rolling football, somehow get it set for Beatty. Beatty pulled it left because, of course, you're going to. Like, Beatty was standing there waiting for the ball to be set. Uh, there's no chance. Like, Beatty has no shot at that field goal. That's not on him. But it's an amazing job from Haggerty just to get it onto the block so that Beatty can get the single point and so it doesn't get blocked and run back the other way for a touchdown. That's a huge single point. It ties the game 17-17. You gotta give that to Haggerty and Beattie. Under pressure, it's tough, you know, it's tough to blame Caliver for the snap. Like he's the backup long snapper. He wasn't expecting to go in, obviously. And, you know, he he, he blew it on that snap. Um, but yeah, good for Haggerty, good for Beattie to get that single point. Yeah, to to get it off. I mean, that's always your that's always your uh, you know, mantra as a as a unit is, you know, get the kick off no matter what, but you're never going to hit the, the kick properly um, with a, without a perfectly timed snap. Certainly no kick over 40 yards. You over 40 yards, you need perfect a perfect mechanism to, to hit that. But, uh, you know, Beatty went in there and piped it extra hard because he knew he wanted to get it there. Um, I mean, I do blame Calver. Uh, he wasn't, you know, pulled out of the crowd in some sort of halftime long snap the ball for a free Argo jersey. So, uh, you know, I do blame him. And, you know, in in some ways, um, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what the word I'm looking for, admire or I'm at least in awe of his confidence in his ability to stay on a roster as a special teamer who gets thrown out of the game. Yeah, let's transition to that. So just before we do, let me just go back to Calvert for one more thing. The reason I, I do forgive him for the snap is that he didn't seem to have any notice. I don't know if they knew Reinhardt wasn't going to be able to go out to make that snap because Calvert never, at least not that I saw, did not practice any long snaps on the sideline. Usually that would be something you do. Like if, if your long snapper is out, then suddenly on the sideline, let's let's get to it, guys, start practicing those long snaps because Reinhardt had been doing it pregame. You know, he'd, he'd done it before and, you know, he does it through throughout the game if need be, but Calver just suddenly had to run out there and snap the football. And that's a, a pretty tough thing. Like I know he's not pulled out of the crowd. That is his job. He's the backup long snapper, but I'm not sure how much notice he had. So I'm going to give him a bit of a break on that, but yeah, let's talk about what you're saying because he's the long snapper. He's the second string long snapper. And a few plays after that, he ends up taking his. Who was his second second major penalty of the game to get him kicked out? <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, of I the mean, game. I look, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not the head coach, but that's a bus ticket for most special teamers. Well, you have to have awareness on that too. Like you know, when you've got that first penalty down, you not even just that, not even being a special teamer, you're now the backup long snapper. You better not get thrown out of this game. We already lost the first guy. You're the backup long snapper. You can't have anything go wrong now. So there's no way you can take that penalty. Um, that was that was really upsetting to see. And it looked like, I don't know if they showed it on TV or not, but it looked like Dinwiddie oh, yeah. uh, gave him an earful yeah. uh, when he when he got thrown out. Well, cause... I mean, that's what I mean. Because, like, look, there are guys you want to give earfuls to that you can and guys that you can't. And he's a guy that you can. 
So, you know, he may get, you know, a lot more than, um, you know, he may get sort of other frustrations poured in on top of him, unfortunately. Um, you know, but uh, but look, special teams finally came through for the Argos. Yeah, and Trevor Hoyt uh, became a hero suddenly. Trevor Hoyt suddenly thrust into the game as the third string long snapper, and he he did actually have to have to snap uh, a couple plays after that. Uh, but first, his heroics come in the way of blocking a Hamilton punt. Uh, he blocks the punt. Uh, Benoit Marion returns it for a touchdown. The punt block was beautifully schemed, and and you know how about some some props for the special team coach who we've been a little bit hard on all uh, all season because the special teams play has been up and down, I guess to be generous. But this was a really nicely schemed pump block. They overloaded one side. Hamilton didn't adjust, and great job from Hoyt. Special teams coverage, in all fairness, has been pretty good. You know, yes, it has been like kickoff, punt, return. Um, you know, I, I mean, really, the, the issue seems, I mean, you're dragging me back into this. The issue seems to be drawing up a blocking scheme on returning. Um, but yeah, I love the overload. Um, you know, I don't know if Hamilton didn't have an automatic, you know, run right play in if the other team. There was nobody <laughs> on the right side. Well, that's generally why you don't do that. Right. Because <laughs> you're like, okay. Well, we'll just run right since your entire team is standing, um, you know, here. But uh, I guess they didn't have that in the <laughs> in the playbook, or or at least you know the up back or whomever didn't didn't trigger it. But <laughs> they certainly should have. That should have been an automatic up back trigger. Like here we go. You dream of that. It was just open field. And so, the thing is, if you don't have the automatic trigger, then you should have a blocking adjustment. So you should, okay, so you're going to do that. So we're going we're gonna to reposition our upbacks. You know, maybe we'll bring our wing over here or, or call in one of our gunners for extra protection just so that you don't have the pump block. Because there, no, there was no chance. They, there's nothing they could do. As long as Hoyt takes a good path there, he's going to get through. And, or, so, or if it's not him or, getting through, or then, then Pissarra is going to get through. Yeah, something. Call time. You, you got to call time. You, you can't let a team line up five and not adjust and be like, well, I hope he gets this off. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That was that was a pretty bad miss. Uh, Hamilton's special teams are, are going to be under a little bit of fire, I think, this week. Oh, man. So I don't want to be that coordinator. head. That's going to be a rough head coach coordinator meeting. <laughs> very, very rough. So that puts Toronto ahead uh, 24-17 at that point. Uh, Hamilton stays in it with uh, a, a deep pass that gets called PI uh, on a challenge. Uh, what do you think of that? What do you think of that PI call on that on that uh, Hamilton bomb that set up their their, time, their field goal to bring them within four? Uh, I I didn't like it. I thought, look, I might my tendency is to leave almost all PI calls alone. Uh, I mean, unless there's really like I. I didn't mind the you know the the push off that they didn't call pi. I don't mind a little a little contact. It, it didn't seem egregious to me. I think I, I hate the deep pass pi. Um, I hate that it's used as a weapon. Um, so I'm I'm again unless it's egregious, I am against deep pass pi because it uh, it's just. It's, it's such a bailout call. I, I didn't. I didn't like that. I didn't like that call. I, I disagreed with the overturn. 
They turned into a field goal to make it 24-20, and then Toronto just sort of ran away with it after that. They they end up adding a field goal after what looked... I, I thought they were setting up what might have been their second red zone touchdown of the night. It was a huge pass to Devaris Daniels. That That's the play you were talking about where it was challenged for, for OPI, and I'm glad they left that because wow. it just looked like the coverage overran. They you know, had, Daniels I stopped. Mean, if they called that... Well, I mean, they're you know if you call that PI... <laughs> you know, then everything is yeah, yeah you, i know that's the thing you, like you, you can't to call every you know you know wide re- wide receivers push off and defensive backs hand fight that's you know i don't i think that that has to remain so they add a field goal uh hoyt in as the third uh snapper uh now he's gonna he's gonna if if reinhardt can't return on friday uh, this is a, a short week for both Hamilton and Toronto as the rematch is on Friday. If Reinhardt can't go, uh, Hoyt is going to have to either work on that a little bit because he looped um, his snaps a little bit. And in practice, he doesn't do that. Just watching him watching him long snap in practice, they, they have a bunch of guys that can do it. Like you have Calver, Hoyt, Kassar. Those guys can all long snap. But they all look pretty good in practice. And, and Hoyt, I think, I actually thought Hoyt was the best in practice. But he was being very careful with those snaps. And he sort of looped that uh, field goal snap. Beatty did a good job getting it through. And uh, he also looped a, a convert snap after the pick six that we'll get to in just a second. But yeah, good for him for, for getting in there and, and doing the job. Uh, I want to ask you about a, a decision that Hamilton made. So it's 27-20 at this point after Beatty added the field goal. There's only about two minutes left. Hamilton's facing third and 10 deep in their own end. Do you go for it there? Third and 10 from, I, I want to say about their 20. Um, they decided to go for it. That was where Chris Edwards picked it off for the pick six. I know it's easy in hindsight to say they should have punted it away down a touchdown. What do you think? What do you do there? Uh, well, I probably would have gone for the touchdown when they kicked a field goal. Uh, but Oh, back earlier. Yeah. yeah. yeah but it, was, it was third and seven from the 10. But, it, but a field goal does you no good. You, st- yeah, you still I, I, need I a touchdown. I agree. I, I think in that case, it depends how much. I want to know how exactly much time was left on that. Like but, six minutes. Like, yeah. But you st- I mean, even like the field goal literally doesn't change anything. <laughs> I mean, I guess it changes if you score a touchdown. Now you're winning. But, you know, anyways, anyways, not to get too off track. Um, yeah, that is a that is a tough. I, I think in Canadian football. Uh, I would have punted it. I, I, I think I would have punted, but I, I can't kill them. I'm in general, I'm a go guy. I think that way too often teams punt. Um, but you know, I didn't feel like Toronto was some unstoppable, you know, monolith uh, that you couldn't think. Well, we might get a stop here. Um, but. Needing a touchdown, if you need a field goal, of course you punt, I guess. But needing a touchdown, I think it probably is a go. I think you got to go. You want to score a touchdown, it's going to take more time. Um, you know, you can't get the ball back with 55 seconds or 45 seconds need, needing needing a touchdown. So I, I, th- I think it is a go. I would have gone for it too. I, I think it was the right call. I, again, it's easy in hindsight to say, you know, what were they doing? But no, I would have gone for it. I think that was the right thing. And I also would have kicked that field goal on third and seven from the 10. And the reason why is because of exactly what happened, where Toronto came back down and kicked a field goal on their next drive to make it 
to make it a seven point game again. If you don't, if you go for it on third and seven from the 10 and you don't get it, now Toronto adds that field goal, that very same field goal. Now you're down by 10 points instead of seven. Maybe, so, but now Toronto's driving from way deeper. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think there was enough. If there was like six minutes left, I still think that's the right move. That's a, It's a ton of time at the end of a, a CFL game. So I'm okay with with both of those those decisions from Steinhauer. I actually quite liked his his game management today. I thought I thought even even that OPI challenge was even though he lost it and he doesn't lose challenges typically. I thought that was a good challenge, even though I didn't think he'd win it. I just think it was such a big play. Like that was such a difference making play that you may as well take a shot, see if they see something. And it's been, it's been such a, such a magic eight ball experience going to replay this season. Anyway, you never know what, what's going to happen. So I, I felt like he actually coached a pretty, a pretty solid game. So that pick six to Edwards was it was pretty sweet, I'm sure, for Chris Edwards. Uh, and he had a pick six against Hamilton last year, but the season, of course, ended against Hamilton, and that was not a good finish for him. And we remember all the things that that happened after that game. So it was probably pretty sweet for him to be able to run that back into the end zone and just put this away, 34-20 at that point. But that's not going to be our last talking point. It's what happened after that. Toronto gets the ball left with about a minute to play. Harris gets a carry and appears to injure his wrist. Um, should he have been in there with a minute left in the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to get too much into um, double-guessing or, or, you know, 2020 perspective looking back on it. But, yeah, Harris should not have been in the game. There, you know, you're, you're, you're not running for yards. You're not running for a record. You're just running out the clock. You know, you've got two guys who are who are both dressed who are not getting the ball. Um, you know, I, I I think I think it's a mistake to have Harris. I mean, I hope he's okay. He looked really mad, which is not a great sign when a veteran looks really mad. Um, so hopefully, it's just a deep bruise and 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 nothing more than that. Looked like maybe a sprain. The way it looked like maybe it happened where guys piled on him at the end, as opposed to like taking a helmet to the wrist or something. Um, so that's good-ish, I guess. But a sprained wrist is not great as a running back. Anyways, you know, it was a mistake, you know, and and you got punished for it. So I think that was that was kind of a a, a ugly, a kind of an ugly little twist at really. What was um, a fantastic game to to put themselves back in the driver's seat and to shake off all the garbage left from the Ottawa game? It was a weird injury that one to Harris because he I, I didn't actually I didn't actually see it happen. I haven't had a chance to see replays yet, but I know it was his left wrist that he was holding and it was a run to the left. So he would have had the ball in that hand. And that's really unusual for a running back. Usually if a running back hurts their wrist, it's their offhand, their, their non-ball carrying hand that that gets either injured by bracing for a fall or 
or uh, during a stiff arm or something like that, it's it's so rarely the hand that's got the ball around it unless it's getting hit from a helmet. And that's not what happened on that play. Uh, he went to the ground. So, um, yeah, seeing him move his fingers is promising. We can't make any sort of medical diagnosis, but you see so often with broken wrists where there's just that inability to move your fingers at all and seeing him flex his fingers around and make a fist, like I think that's got to be promising, but you just hope at this point. Toronto cannot afford to to be without Harris. He's been the best player on the team for most of the team's wins this season. And if nothing else, even though he didn't get a lot of yardage today, he's occupying a lot of defenders. The last two weeks against Hamilton and against Ottawa, teams have been absolutely stacking that box to stop him. And if he's not out there, it makes passing the ball a lot more difficult. So even when he's not running, he is making a difference out there. So hopefully he's okay. But Getting back to what you said, like what a, what an important win this was, not only to create separation in the standings, but just for the team's confidence after losing to Ottawa last week, they, where they just must have felt uh, the worst because it's, it's Ottawa. It was their first one of the season. Ottawa, again, gets beat last night. Uh, and you're the only team that has allowed uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks to beat you. So this was this was huge and to sort of uh, set Hamilton back again and get Hamilton talking all week, they're going to be hearing it about this loss. Yeah, hopefully, you know, Shaq is fine. Hopefully Harris is fine. Um, you know, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be tough to beat Hamilton without Harris. Because as, yeah, you, as sure. you say, like, if you can stop the run with a light box, you know, you're, you're pretty screwed. And suddenly the Argonauts are not only in first place, which they, you know, they have been all season, but they're two and a half games up with the tiebreaker over both second place teams, Hamilton and Montreal, because they've got wins over both of them. So they're in a really good spot right now to be uh, essentially two and three quarter games up, we'll call it because of those those tiebreakers. Uh, it's, that's fantastic. They're two and one in the division. Yes, that Ottawa loss last week. Oh man, that's crushing. It's just think to be to be five and two yeah. at this well, point. We talked uh, about would have been it. massive. That, that Ottawa game probably cinches first place for them. But it's all right. We can do it the hard way. Yeah, and, and they may have to. Let's get into our players of the game. Uh, you know, just looking through the, the stat sheet, uh, just go through a couple of quick ones. So Bethel Thompson ends up 17 for 27 for 230 and a touchdown. That's 63%. Harris had 47 yards on 14 carries. That's, that's 3.4. Uh, receivers were sort of spread around a bit. Uh, a couple guys with four catches, Phillips and uh, Devaris Daniels. Uh, Phillips for four catches for 85 yards, including that big 49-yarder. And he had the touchdown. And Devaris Daniels with four catches for 73 yards. So uh, jumping off the page defensively, Wyndham McManus with 10 tackles. And Robert Priester, can we shout out Robert Priester for a second? Shaq Richardson gets injured fairly early in this game. Uh, looked like it looked like it might have been an ankle. It was tough to tell. And instead of because they could have sent Holden in, who was technically the backup in that spot. Instead, they sent in Priester, who's the backup Sam backer. He remember he was starting at Sam behind Edwards, and they clearly feel like he's the next guy up. And he was on the field in a bunch of different packages anyway. But he basically fills in there at halfback. And what I loved about it is. The last time we saw him playing true halfback 
was in preseason in the Ottawa game, and he was burned so many times. He looked so uncomfortable there. Remember, he was a corner in college, um, suddenly being thrust into that halfback role in Canadian football. There's so much space out there. Suddenly, you've got to cover both ways. And I think all that time playing Sandbacker really prepped him for this because he was outstanding tonight defensively, really stepping up when that could have been, that should be a, a huge loss. Shaq is, is one of the best players on the Argonauts defense and they didn't really miss a beat with Priester in there. Yeah, he did really well. I was really impressed. Let's do our players of the game and our play of the game. So offensive player of the game, where are you going, JB? Um... Offensive player of the game, I mean, I I could have gone Phillips, uh, but I guess a bit of a hipster choice here is I, I'm going to go Devaris Daniels. I thought he had, I thought his big catch to um, convert a first down in the first half was kind of the first big spark of the game for the offense. You know, I thought it was like, you know, it was a nice connection. It was a good throw. It, 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 felt like okay here we go like we're able to kind of move the ball down the field we're able to to convert a first down it felt big and then the huge catch at the end of the game um you know i am a huge proponent of more targets to davaris because i think he's a star and if you look around the league stars get more targets than he does so hopefully with people coming back he's going to get more targets so i'm going to take davaris daniels as the as a guy who made the two biggest plays for the offense and, uh, you know, with with a hat tip to uh, Phillips. Yeah, now I'm going to give my player of the game to Phillips. I, I just think to step up like this on a day where Curly Gittins Jr. has one catch for eight yards. When's the last time Gittins Jr. had one catch in a game and less than 10 yards in a game? He has been so reliable week in, week out. And how amazing is it on a day where Gittins is, is nowhere to be seen? that you've got someone like Phillips who can step up because we expect it from Rogers. We expect it from Daniels. You expect it from Banks. You've become, we've, we've come to expect it from Ambles. And here's Cam Phillips stepping up with four catches for 85 yards and a touchdown and a touchdown in which he worked to get open when the play broke down. So my offensive player of the game is Cam Phillips. Defensive side of the ball. Where are you going, JB? Your defensive player of the game. Um, Again, I'm not gonna overthink this. I, I think the defensive player was McManus. He he nice bounce back after Shoegate and he looked great today. He looked faster, he looked hungrier, um, he laid some devastating hits out there. Um, he was everything that he has been, you know, he, he was an absolute force at linebacker. And when he's that and you also have Edwards, you know, and and Moamba, there's not much teams are going to be able to do. So I, I, I love McManus's game tonight. I thought he kind of, without needing to make up for anything, I thought he kind of reinserted himself as a captain of the defense. Yeah, it was a no-nonsense day from him. He was ready to work right from the get-go. Ten tackles. Uh, he was all over the place. Uh, he also had a forced fumble. So that... You know, that was that was a, a heck of a heck of a performance from Wyndham McManus. I'm gonna go a little outside the box for my defensive player of the game. I'm gonna go with Trevor Hoyt. He's technically a defensive player. Uh, he was backing up uh, at Mac today behind Enoch Muamba, but it's for his special teams heroics, and we don't really have a special teams player of the game uh, in our segment. So I'm yeah, I'm gonna give it to Trevor Hoyt. Not only did he have the block, 
that turned into a special teams touchdown, but he stepped up as the third string long snapper and was flawless at it. So my defensive player of the game, Trevor Hoyt. Mm, well, that's a that's a questionable use of defensive, but I'll, I'll give you that. It was also great to see Jack Kassar uh, flash a little bit on specials. I think that's great. He, if he can stay healthy and flash more on specials and then maybe get rolled in a little bit, um, you know, on the depth chart into some linebacker action. It's great to see him back on the path. Yeah, it was, it was awesome to see him out there. His kickoff coverage is just, it's just devastating. It was one of my favorite things to watch when he was in college. His, his kickoff coverage is, is dangerous. Uh, He's going to be a star at that. Yeah. Yeah. He already is. So good. He came down and crushed Woods so hard on that one play. He ended up with two special teams tackles, but that that first one, he just lit up I mean, Woods. Essentially, like you know, like in like he has almost no games under his belt. Like to to just come in off the street, you know, or and to to be somebody who flashes on specials. I mean, I, look, you get him two, three more games, and coaches start to realize this is a guy we need to build our kickoff return around. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Adipaboye also had a really nice uh, hit on specials. Um, they, they, the coverage teams, I know that I, I think they did allow some yardage on returns. I haven't gone back and looked at the return yardage bit. here, but I, I, I thought I thought they actually had some real highlight plays today. So that was nice to see. Uh, your play of the game. Uh, going hipster choice again here. Obviously, the special teams touchdown is is, you know, the low-hanging fruit. Um, but I'm going to go with Hendrix's pass knockdown. Um, I thought it was play the game a couple of ways. I thought that after they pinned them with that great punt and, you know, really kind of returners screw up, um, to keep them pinned I thought was huge for that fourth quarter kind of energy that we are now taking over this game. We are not going to let you off the mat. It was a great play by him, obviously well coached because he was cut and immediately knew if you're being cut, the pass is probably going right above your head. So he immediately reacted to the, to the cut block and got his hands up and knocked it down. Um, You know, well coached, uh, well executed, uh, big time play by, by Hendricks. Yeah, it was a it was a better move, like you say. Like, there's a reason for everything, right? Like, you see the experienced players and the veteran players that realize this stuff. Like, a receiver crosses in front of you, you think, "Wait a second, that means someone's coming back the other way." And instead of attacking in, you back up and and come up with an interception. And here you have a player on the edge. He's like, well, "Hang on, this guy hasn't cut me all game." And suddenly, I'm getting cut block here, and he realizes quick ball. And he gets his hands up. Yeah, that was a huge turning point. Um, I love that as a outside the box play of the game. Mine's a little outside the box too, and it's a couple of plays earlier. One that you alluded to. It's that punt. I think that punt from Haggerty changed the game. And yes, I do blame Lawrence Woods for for taking that ball out. I thought it was bouncing in the end zone, but it's on Haggerty for putting him in that position where he wasn't sure. It was a beautiful coffin corner punt, and that's something that he has really impressed the coaching staff with since he arrived. Remember, he's he's a rookie. He's a global player who's out here 
trying to earn one of the toughest jobs on the team because they've got a guy who can punt, who spent years punting in the CFL and Boris Beattie. They could very easily dress a different global player and have things work out very differently ratio-wise for them and just go with Boris as the punter kicker, just like he did all last season. But he's been so good at those coffin corner kicks in practice, and it was great to see him execute one today that put the returner in such a tough position is this going to bounce out at the one is it going to die right here is it going to go into the end zone it was a wonderful wonderful punt and that completely swung the game yeah he he's shown why the coaching staff is using a roster spot for him you know he, he as he gets more comfortable and he's getting um you know, a little more confident during game time. You know, he averaged 54 today. He he absolutely can be a, an impact player if he's going to hit 65-yard punts now and again. And just to throw a little bit more love John Hegarty's way, I also like the shout-out to Hegarty because he has really taken over as the holder. I really was stressed about that coming into this season because McLeod Bethel-Thompson was BD's holder all last season. And Hegarty, not having really been a holder, is suddenly excellent at it. And he made one of those great plays today. I know it was just a rouge and it was a missed field goal, but just being able to recover that bad snap and get it down and give Beatty a chance at it and earn that all-important rouge, which was a really big play at the time, uh, I think he should get a little bit of recognition for that because he's really developed as a holder. And it's it's a much more difficult job in Canadian football than it is in the NFL. Uh, holder is is highly stressful. Not only do you have to have a perfect catch and catch it cleanly, you've got to catch with both hands and bring it down without looking onto the little puck. And that's why it's harder than the NFL. There's nothing like in the NFL, you bring it down to a spot and you're trying to bring it to the exact spot every time, of course, because that's where the kicker is aiming. But if you bring it down incorrectly in the Canadian Football League, trying to bring it down uh, onto that little kicking tee uh, and you miss, we saw what happened. That That's what occurred uh, in the, the missed extra point uh, in the loss to Winnipeg, where they lost to the Blue Bombers by one point because that holder... Uh, Haggerty brought it down on the side of the, the puck and it ended up uh, basically being sideways and BD hooked it left. And so, you know, here we see he's developed, he's improved so much as a holder. And so, yeah, he should definitely get a few shout outs for, for this game. A lot of special teams love exactly. uh, this week, JB. Good on you, mate. Exactly. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.